Hello. Before you start this episode of The Game Changers, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about our new documentary, Abby Ward, A Bump in the Road, which explores the challenges faced by professional female athletes and all working mothers. It follows the remarkable journey of an England rugby player as she battles back to the professional game just 17 weeks after the birth of her baby and then on to secure her place in England's Six Nations squad for 2024. The documentary is free to watch in the UK on ITVX or globally on Rugby Pass TV. And don't forget that our other documentary, Game On! The Unstoppable Rise of Women's Sport, is still available to watch on Netflix in the UK. Now it's time for the Game Changers. Hello and welcome to the Game Changers. I'm Sue Anstis and this is the podcast where you'll hear from trailblazing women in sports, knocking down barriers and challenging the status quo for women and girls everywhere. A big thank you to Barclays for supporting this series of The Game Changers, which features fearless women in football. My guest today is professional match official, Sean Massey-Ellis. I learnt so much in this podcast talking to Sean, who is without doubt leading the way for female officials in football. I started our conversation by asking her about her earliest memories of being a referee. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember my first couple of games, really. The first game that I did was uh, my dad and another Premier League assistant were on the kind of lines and they were flagging and I kind of blew my whistle. That's how I, I learned to referee. Um, I, I must admit, it was completely alien. I didn't really understand what I was doing. I was really learning kind of on the job. I mean, I'd done the Laws of the Game course, but I didn't really understand how to apply it. And I think that it was just being out there for the first time and kind of practicing and making mistakes and learning on the job, really. And I must admit, I think a couple of games in, I was like, I don't think this is for me. I remember sitting in the back of my dad's boot of his car, putting my football boots on at one of my next games um, and kind of thinking, I can't do this. And he said to me, well, you'll have to give the money back then. You'll have to pay for another referee. And I said, well, I haven't got the money. How am I going to do that? And um, uh, and he's like, well, you have to go and referee then. So I did it. And I'm glad that I did because I think at that point, I probably would have probably would have been on the lower end of the radar for going forward, I think, in terms of I was, wasn't that interested in it. It was, you know, I didn't think I was very good at it. And I think that kind of then made me I went out and enjoyed that game, I think, more than maybe I'd enjoyed the previous one. And I think it just gave me that courage to carry on, really. It's lovely that your dad was an official as well, I believe. Yeah, he's, he was a referee. And, and was he ever concerned about you, how you might be treated as a female official? Or was he just really enthusiastic for you to get involved from the start? Yeah, no, he was always really enthusiastic. I don't think he ever kind of considered me getting any kind of stick or, you know, I don't think he ever thought, oh, the only thing that he thought there wasn't many females around but I don't think he ever thought of that as being like a reason that I couldn't get involved in refereeing I don't really think he considered anything else we just kind of went on from week to week really just doing one game and then the other and he was still refereeing at the time as well so I used to go and watch some of his games um he used to referee on um it was the Dr Martin's League back then that's showing how how long ago it was (laughs) 
<laughs> and did you enjoy refereeing that, that youth and grassroots football? Because we hear quite a lot, don't we, about aggressive, negative parents on the sidelines and so on. Was that something that you had to experience as a young person refereeing? Um, I don't, I don't think so. I think the main, I think I just really enjoyed refereeing youth football because I've seen it as being a coach really to some of them, you know, like I wouldn't necessarily, you know, I'd see a foul throw, which is quite a common thing that we see in grassroots football. You know, the, the boys and girls don't keep their feet on the floor and, you know, they jump and that kind of thing. And I think I kind of seen it as my job to educate them as well. And I've always had that. I think that's my background. And I, I kind of quite like the coaching aspect of refereeing youth football, if that makes sense. So I kind of used to go over them and show them how to take a correct throw in rather than just, I think as a, as a youth football referee, you're more than just a referee. You're not there just to say, oh, turn it over and give the throw in the, the wrong way. Does That doesn't help develop our grassroots football. So I think for me, it was definitely about going over there, showing them how to take a correct throw and, and giving them another opportunity. I don't think I ever got criticised for that in terms of, I think the players and the coaches um, and the, the sidelines, you know, the mums and dads appreciated that a lot more. So I think that, that I, I quite enjoyed that aspect of group, grassroots football and particularly youth football, I think. And how did you progress through? So what was the, the, your pathway through to the next stages as it were from youth football so I um I went straight into open age football as soon as I was old enough to um I don't know whether it's changed now actually but when I was refereeing you could only referee up to your age group until you turn I think it's 16 then you can referee more open age so I kind of went straight into men's football there wasn't so much women's football around then as in you know there was the odd there was the Coventry teams but there wasn't many even community-based teams so that there wasn't as many fixtures in terms of women's football. So I went pretty much straight into into men's football, used to referee on the Coventry Alliance League, Midland uh, Floodlit Youth League, that kind of a level. And then I went from there and then you get promoted league by league. So then you kind of go on to what we would call the supply leagues. So I, um, I went on to the West Midlands League from there um, and then on to the contributory leagues. So went on to referee on the Southern League. So kind of went through that progression through, really. And what was your career before you became a professional official? What were you, what did you do for a career? So I was a PE teacher. So I taught at a school in Coventry for eight years. It's alongside my degree in sports science that I did at Newman University. Um, I did that and then I went on to do a PGC and then in straight into teaching alongside my football. And they worked really well together. I think the skills that I learned from refereeing helped me in my teaching career and then how my teaching career kind of helped me in my football career as well. So I think they, they both worked hand in hand. Don't get me wrong, it was pretty tricky to do both, especially when I'm kind of trying to do uni dissertation at the same time as popping off to referee every weekend. You know, it, it kind of juggling act, I think, at the start. I mean, I definitely needed a supportive head teacher when I was teaching and refereeing because effectively I was doing two full-time jobs. Now I look back and I think, how did I ever do that? I remember getting in from Sunderland at something like half past two in the morning, getting up at six to go to school the next day. And I think that that really kind of made me think, oh, how did how did I manage to do that? But you just do, I think. But it was definitely a, a bit of a juggling act. I remember going to my head teacher at one point, oh, I, um, is there any way I can have the first two weeks of term off to go on international trips? She was like, um, but she was really, really supportive. And I think I was lucky in that respect. And when did you realise then that you wanted to progress and become an official full-time as a role? 
I mean, I, I think I would have loved doing it as a job as, as soon as I could, really. But financially, it wasn't viable f- to be able to do both um, until they made us full-time match officials on the Premier League. So it wasn't until I got to the Premier League. And actually, for the first few years that I was on the Premier League, we weren't full-time it was only then when I had my daughter, that's when they gave us contracts so that we were paid a salary as well as a match fee. So that's that's at the point then when I could um, give up my job as a teacher, really. And when was that? Is that 2010, 29? No, 2015, we were made professional. Yeah, we're, So oh, right. I was on the professional leagues from 2010. Um, so that's oh, when I did my first okay. Premier League game. But the Premier League assistants weren't full-time professionals until later on. Oh, wow. I didn't realise that. I had my daughter in 2015. It was roughly around the same time that they offered us contracts. And, and it's not a role we know much about, certainly not a role I know much about. So it'd be great to get a little bit of a better understanding of it. So who do you work for now? Who's your your day-to-day employer, as it were? So I'm employed by the a board called the PGMOL, which is a professional game match officials limited company. So they employ us. So they're employed mainly for Premier League games, but we also cover EFL games as well. And, and how do you get promoted? So you, it seems like you've had this quite rapid progression from what, grassroots football through and through. But how, what's that process like to, to progress? Because I imagine there are thousands of officials out there that would you know, love to be on that pathway. Yeah, so you always kind of get promoted, but it's a bit like a team. You have to win the league, really. You have to win your league of match officials. So you put into like a, a ranking, a merit table. So what happens on every game or most games, you're assessed by the club. So they give you a mark and you're also assessed by an assessor who comes and watches at kind of grassroots football. And that comes through as you go through the ranks, really. So every league that you're promoted on, you have to get in the kind of 10%, roughly top 10%, depending on the amount of numbers that they take each year, because it kind of varies with, you know, if somebody retires off the league above, then they promote one more. That that kind of is how it works. So you have to be kind of in the, I think I was probably in sort of the, the top 10 out of 300, you know, you were kind of on that slim list. That, I remember that kind of being the figure when I got promoted off off the Southern League um, onto the Conference North and South as a referee. I used to do both. I used to referee and be an assistant referee. So um, I kind of, you tend to be one level higher as an assistant than you are as a referee. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and then it's not until you get to a certain level that you could then choose. So you have to kind of be in semi-professional football before they allow you to kind of make a decision. Um, And that only changed recently, actually, around the time we got offered contracts, so about five years ago, because until then you could do both. So that's why um, I used to referee on the Women's Super League um, and now I just run the line because I've gone down the route of being a specialist assistant. Um, so that's kind of when the change happened. And I think it's just because they are completely different skill sets in terms of, you know, you have to practice making offside decisions over and over again because that's kind of gives you that clarity of making that decision. They're different types of decisions in terms of the position that you are as a referee, the way you run on a pitch is completely different to the way you run as an assistant so I think they gave us that opportunity to be specialist assistants so we could really focus in on the skills that we need to do that job it's really interesting isn't it I'm I'm thinking about rugby now as well and whether they run a line and also referee but that's really interesting to I don't think people realize that they're such different delineated roles almost yeah interesting and what what skills you talk about the skill set that's needed then so what skills do you think are needed to be a, a match official um, I think you've got to have good communication because I think, especially as a referee, coming up through the ranks, you know, I was I was quite 
a quiet, shy girl when I was at school. I, I was always in the P department and kind of helping out. And, you know, I, I used to referee their teams and things like that. But I think that you need the skills to be confident in your own decision. You have to trust your own decision that you're making the right decision for at that moment. It's an honest decision. It's, you know, what you see and you feel is the right decision. So I think confidence in making that decision is a, a really big skill to be a match official. And then I think that really helped me as a skill in life, I think, because it really gave me, you know, like going for interviews and going for my first job application and having the confidence to sit and have a, a conversation going through. I mean, even for my PGC interview, there was hundreds of us going for an interview for the PGC that I went on. And I think my refereeing and the confidence that that gave me, gave me the confidence in other areas of my life, really. Um, so I think confidence is a, a big one. But linking in with that, I think body language, how to carry yourself when you walk into a room and things like that is a lot about how you kind of carry yourself on a football pitch and the way you kind of like give off this perception of, you know, I, I they, people always say to me, oh, you've got your game face on, you know, <laughs> you look really miserable when you walk out on a football pitch. And I'm like, no, that's my game face. I'm ready. I'm yeah. concentrating. Um, and I think, you know, they always laugh at me for that because they say, you never smile. I'm like, I'm too busy concentrating. I can't smile. Um, so I think, I think things like that, body language, communication, I think they're all the, all the skills uh, that comes with it obviously there's a there's a knowledge of the laws of the game and exactly like anybody else you know you have to you kind of have to know your job role as such in terms of things like that but I mean little things that probably don't it's being able to switch your eye line as well is quite a difficult skill so obviously we as assistants we have to look at the moment the ball is being kicked and also the position of the attacker and defender so it's having the ability to kind of move your eyes without moving your body um and yeah that's something we we practice over and over again which everybody thinks yeah. that's a bit random like you practice like <laughs> looking at the ball and at the players at the same time you know it's uh you know we do lots of kind of visualization exercises and things like that i think to um to train our eyes to to do things like that really that's fascinating isn't it no, no idea at all and in terms of preparation so what's involved before a big game in terms of the preparation you might do around that so we have um, kind of split it down into three parts, really. So we have our fitness training that we do. So our sports scientists will send us a training plan for that week based on when our game is, because obviously we have like Friday, Saturday, Sunday games, Monday games, Tuesday games, kind of every day of the week. Um, so it's specialised. They send a training plan specific to when our games are. Um, so normally preparation will start kind of from the, the previous game and start for the next game. So it involves things like active recovery the day after a game. You normally have one rest or kind of um, stretching day. Um, and then it'll build up, kind of ramp up towards the game again and then taper off for the game. So normally we'll do one a couple of strength sessions, one or two strength sessions, uh, a high intensity training session, um, a speed session. So they kind of all them different mixtures go in together to make us fit and at our peak for the next game effectively so that's all planned for us um, and we just follow that and then we have a, our heart rate monitors on so that we can be tracked and they make sure that you know we're training in the right zones that we're meeting the right speeds them kind of things so they track all of that for us that's polar isn't it polar used to be a, a client of ours and i remember they talked a lot about the work they do with them um, is it still polar yeah, yes, yeah, so we still use our yeah. polars for the, for our tracking our heart rates and things like that. We also yeah. have a GPS monitor that tracks our speed. Um, so again, they we send off all the data and they kind of do yeah. it from home. You know, and you get an email saying, "No, you wasn't you wasn't fast enough today, Sean. You're not getting <laughs> the top speeds." 
okay um that kind of thing so that's kind of one aspect our next aspect is that we'll always do some group training at the moment it's via zoom so you know we'll be playing clips from previous weeks making sure that we're all trying to be consistent in you know especially like application of handball that kind of had a little tweak at the start of this season so um you know with, with the new law it was how we apply it and make sure that all of the referees and assistants are consistent so you know they showed us clips of handball that started in the first few weeks of the season so we'll go through like topical clips like that that they'll they'll show us and how our communication works you know this was good this we need to improve this so that's kind of our second aspect and then third is kind of our own tactical preparation on the game so we look at everything so that will affect our performance so if we can kind of get ahead of things so things like from corners in when they're attacking down our end do they have players on the posts do they have an in swinger corner or an out swinger corner so all of them will actually investigate before the game that we do oh, wow. so because obviously that will make a difference on our position so if there's nobody on goal posts at corners that affects us because it means that our last defender won't be on the goal line which is where we start for a corner kick um so it means normally that we have to rush out to try and get with the yeah. last defender before in case the ball comes back in for an offside decision so it's that's just one example so i'd look at that we'd look at whether the keepers play short or whether they go long ball so in case we have offside decisions to make from that situation we'll look at whether they have a high line or if they drop at set pieces these are all the kind of things that we'll look at um in terms of tactical preparation so that we're ready for the next game really it's amazing isn't it so much i don't think people are aware of so much goes on before you walk out and, you know, and start your role really. It's incredible. And you mentioned fitness there and I clearly you must be incredibly fit, like training like an athlete really. Uh, so, and that measurement back and forth. Are there any issues you think in terms of uh, being a female and being a referee? Because clearly you've got to try and keep up your speed in terms of being able to, to match those male athletes that are, that are sprinting. Yeah, definitely. Something that I work really hard on. So I have to pass the men's fitness test to be on the men's league, um, which is the FIFA International Men's Fitness Test. Um, involves three different little tests. So it involves um, 10 laps around the, the track, um, a bit like a bleak test, really. So um, you kind of run 75 metres and walk 25 metres, but it's kind of a bit like a bleep test you have to be at the next stage by the next bleep kind of thing yeah and we also do a sprint test and we do a what's called a coder test which involves like changing direction and that's specific to assistant refereeing yeah um so they all the kind of through speed gates so under a set time so i have to work really hard as a female to pass the men's fitness test and i wouldn't have it any other way if i want to be on a men's league i have to pass the men's test and, and as that test is there to make sure that we can keep up with the players and I, I say this all the time, if I'm not in the right place on a football pitch, if I'm not level with the second last defender, then I won't get the right decision. So fitness for us is really important. You know, also when the attacker goes through um, and you've kind of got, they race down towards the goal line. I've got to be on that goal line to make that ball in yeah. out of play decision. So I've got to be as fast as them. Sometimes that's really difficult because when you're making an offside decision, you pretty much have to be stationary with the last defender and then turn your, so you're facing the field of play and then you have to turn your body as quick as they are already sometimes have a head start on you. So it's that moving from a stationary start. Well, they've already got kind of a bit of a head start on you. And then sometimes you are playing catch up. So I think you kind of have to be really sharp, but we do lots of work on that in fitness and strength work combined with fitness to kind of get us that starting speed really. But it's something that I as a female have to work really hard on yeah absolutely that's fascinating isn't it gosh bloody hell 
<laughs> how hard you have to work to yeah keep up with them and um, it does sometimes appeal I think from the outside that it's a bit of a job that's got potentially lots of negatives in terms of people shouting at you from the sidelines but questioning decisions and there's that opportunity of making very public mistakes really what is it about the role that you love so much that makes you overcome kind of those elements I think being involved in professional sport and being involved in something that I love, I love watching football, I enjoy it. And I really enjoy being involved in sport, you know, being on that pitch, the best seat in the, the stand, really, because it's on the pitch, you know, and I, I, I just enjoy it. Time flies. And I just think it's not just about watching the game and making a decision, because sometimes a lot of the time we actually make right decisions. So it's about kind of getting the rewards for the right decisions. So when you do make great decisions on a pitch, like I know it sounds really stupid, but you, you know, the referee or the assistant plays, we, we don't really play advantage from the line, but we'll say, oh, go on, play on. And the referee will signal advantage and it leads to a goal or something like that. You're like, yeah, I've had a positive impact on that game. So actually like things like that, you know what I love making the right decisions and being good at something so I always kind of look at it like that it's a job that I absolutely love I love getting up taking my daughter to school in the morning going training doing some clips it doesn't feel like a job it really doesn't and that that's when you know that you're in a job that you love really that it doesn't feel like work excellent also that's so good to hear isn't it we often see I guess football players trying to intimidate officials a bit in a way that doesn't necessarily happen in sports like rugby or cricket or other sports why why do you think that is why has that happened uh, I'm not entirely sure I don't know whether it's um like a culture thing or that it's always happened um I, and I, I genuinely don't feel like there is a lot of like challenge to decisions I think it I don't know whether that's the way that I've always been brought up in football or I've been at the kind of top of the game for such a long time and they don't really have time to challenge decisions because they're so busy right ball down let's play next decision their, their aim is not to kind of remonstrate with the officials it's more to right let's try and score goals it's more they they kind of don't think about that they might have you know like a quick pop oh for god's sake referee or you know oh that's our ball or whatever but then it's like it's quickly forgotten and it's next yeah. decision and on we go and I think like when you get most of your decisions right, you'd hope, then there's kind of not much to challenge, if that makes sense. Because the more you get right, the less challenge you get. That's oh, interesting. It's interesting, isn't it? I, I guess I, I don't want to harp on about mistakes because actually, as you've said, it's about doing it fantastically well and getting it right most of the time. Um, but actually, everybody does make mistakes. That's how we learn in life, yeah. isn't it? It's part of human nature that you make mistakes. But clearly, when you make a mistake, it's then seen by millions of people, potentially. So how do you personally deal with any disappointment after a game, if you feel you have made a wrong decision, have you got that resilience over time to shrug it off or how do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely difficult in terms of, I think that it's difficult when you make a wrong decision. We do a lot of work with psychologists about parking it. So it's like, right, I'm going to put it in a box and I'm going to put it on the shelf and I'm going to pick it up later. Um, and so during a game, we do a lot of, a, a lot of psychological work with that about not, not dwelling over decisions because we find that if we yeah. do dwell over a decision it tends to kind of Excellent. affect the next decision which obviously we don't want to happen and I think you kind of have to trust that you've made the right decision uh, and then evaluate it later and I think then I'm I'm a big one for after a game I'm always going going through and making sure that I've kind of made the right decision 
why I've made the wrong decision or that's probably the the better way of saying it. So is it that I'm not in line with a last offender? Because literally a step in either direction can make something look completely different. Is it that I haven't got a view on it? Is it that I can't see the ball being kicked because there's a another player in the way there's there's lots of things that we kind of go through as like a tick sheet of like why have I made this mistake is it that I haven't seen a touch off another attacker you know is it that I haven't communicated that I'm waiting on a player and then they've got involved you know it's there's kind of a lot of like critical work that we do with decisions and I think once I I'm one for a bit of a process, right? I've got it wrong. Why have I got it wrong? Once I understand the reason that I've got it wrong, I can kind of live with that, if that makes sense, and try and learn from it so I don't make the same mistake again. I mean, sometimes you just have to look at it and go, do you know what? There's no way you can see the heel of that player, you know, offside. It's just, it's just human eye isn't like that. It doesn't work that quick. And sometimes like you, you doubt your decision in terms of, oh, I thought his head was just further forward than the ball there. And then you look at it and you think, oh, it was. But I kind of trusted the fact that he's that fast that if I thought he was just ahead, he probably would be level. And actually he was just off. And you kind of think, well, you know, maybe I need to trust my decision a bit more. So I think it's just learning from every mistake that you make, really. Excellent. It's good life advice as well, isn't it, really? I don't want to talk about any specific issues at all, but it does feel like you're often in the media or it's trending on social media because you're a woman. So if the same thing had happened to a male official, it perhaps wouldn't be news. Does that frustrate you when it's when your gender is the issue rather than your amazing ability at what you're doing in your role? Um, to be honest, we don't watch or listen to any social media because I think that just has a negative kind of impact on my mentality really we do a lot of work with the psychologists about you know confidence building and making right decisions that actually that they have a specific word for it I can't remember what they they call um it's like a distraction tool that will distract us from our performance so we firstly we don't we don't kind of look at any of that we just analyze it from our kind of own perspective in terms of male and female I think that's just because there's not very many of us so the more we have of female officials the less it becomes something different so in terms of things like that I think that you know there's another female assistant now on the championship just been promoted Natalie a good friend of mine so I think the more and more females we see the more that it becomes the norm Um, and you know it's not nothing special to talk about really and you were the first ever woman official to officiate a, a European men's match in 2019. Yeah. How did that feel when you when you found out you had that opportunity? Yeah, oh, it was an amazing experience. Um, and, you know, we, we work in teams. So I work with pretty much the same referees quite a lot. So, you know, we get used to working together. So, I mean, he's kind of you know, really fought for me to be part of his team. He trusts in my ability. We, we have to, tr- you have to have that trust. You have to get on as people because you spend so much time together. You know, you're in hotels the night before games. So you're always, you know, when you travel, you're meeting in airports, you have to be good friends as well. And I think that I always kind of refer to it as our football family. You, you know, I was, I'm sure I actually spend more time with my referee team than I do at home sometimes. So I think you really have to get on as a team. So, you know, when the appointment come through, I was just so excited to be part of that team and you know be selected for them you know important games and it's always been a dream of mine really so it was really a dream come true I've you know fought really hard to try and not only be 
at the top of our national level to but to do international men's football as well it's just you know an, another kind of step on the career that I really wanted to do so it was a great opportunity a great game it went really well um, I didn't have a lot to do which you kind of really wish for on your first your first games you just think I just want to go under the radar I just be quiet get on with my job and you know and it, it went really well for the team so um, yeah it was a great trip. It's interesting, isn't it? It's almost like you do a better job by not being seen. If people don't notice you, you're doing a good job. That's a, a good yeah, sign, Yeah, I it? think that's all the referee momentum is. Just go there, do your job. Nobody's talking about you. Everybody's happy. That's kind of our motto in life. <laughs> I remember hearing uh, Nigel Owens talk about the moment when he steps over the line onto the pitch and he just knows he's going to be then scrutinised by potentially millions if it's a you know, World Cup match. Do you get, and how nervous, so the point was that he's like, how nervous he feels at that point. Do you get nervous before big games? Oh yeah, definitely. It's not, um, I'm not one that gets nervous about making wrong decisions. I'm just nervous that everything goes well for the team. Like I want to show the best side of me. I want to get my decisions right. Uh, I don't want to let the team down that we work with. Um, and I do get nervous because I think that's, but I always say if I wasn't nervous, then did I care? So for me, it's that just shows how much I care about what I do. So I think, yeah, I definitely get nervous, but I'm a bit of a stickler for doing things in a routine. So, you know, I'll eat the same things before a game. I'll get up at, you know, certain times. I'll eat certain times before games. You know, I'll pack my kit in a certain way. I'll put my kit on in a certain way. I'm like a, a real stickler for like sticking to routine. I always think that's because we talk about what we can control. So for me, I can control all of that. I can control my fitness. I can control that my kit's in my bag at the right time. I can control that I leave the ground on time you know all them kinds of things and I think that that routine always helps me deal with my nerves I think you know what I mean don't be wrong the night before a game I'm always like tossing and turning thinking oh, get this right get this right but, but I think by keeping myself in that routine it kind of sticks me and it kind of keeps me from being too nervous if that makes sense oh it's, it's interesting isn't it there's only last year that a, a woman refereed a, a European men's match so why do you feel that still is that we see so few females? I mean, great that more are coming through. And, and do you feel it does need to change more? Yeah, I just think, I'm not sure. I, I said this, I think people always think, oh, refereeing isn't cool. But actually, it really is. You know, I get to travel the world. I get to see so many different places. You know, I get to be on the best seat in the house. Um, and I think that it's that stigma attached with refereeing in general. People don't think it's a cool thing to do, especially with girls. I think this whole... This isn't just about officiating. It's about girls playing sport in general. I think, especially from my PE teacher role, you see girls when they kind of get to this 13, 14, 15 year old, they're kind of not interested in sport anymore. And I think that stems then into officiating. We get some young girls who start young. Like I started when I was 14 and then kind of think, or, you know, I'd rather go out with my friends than run up and down a football pitch, getting muddy and being in the rain. And, you know, but I think it's about, People knowing that what comes with, okay, you can talk about the positives of of not just, you know, I get to travel the world, but I get to meet so many different friends. And I've got the best friends out of football. You know, my re little referee team is, you know, it gives me that social, they, they're the friends that I bring to my daughter's birthday party because they're the people that I go and stay at the houses. They're the, type, the people I spend most of my life with. Um, and I, I think that refereeing and football in particular, not just football, I suppose every sport brings that to life. It brings that friendship. It brings that team ethos. It brings like out a certain personality. And I think that 
people should look at that in refereeing. It's the same as playing as, as a team. Being in a referee team is exactly the same. So I think that if we look at it like that and it becomes more of a cool thing to do, then maybe we will get more girls involved. And it's not only that probably even me when I started probably didn't know that women could be referees because there's not that many of us out there. So the more we have out there that you can see visualising on the top games, the more women that we will have come through. And I think it's difficult because to get to the Premier League or to get to the Championship like Natalie's on, it's being in that 1% group. And you have to be realistic that you're not only in the 1% of females, you're in the 1% of men and women together. So it's difficult to make it to that level. But the more we have coming through, the more pool at the grassroots we have coming through, the more likelihood is that we will get more girls coming to the top level. So I think it's just A, about making it cool and B, about it being more females visual that they can see. And also, you've said all those fabulous positives about travelling and friendship, and but also getting paid for it as well. So it's a career too. It's yeah. a career path. It's important to emphasise that you have made a career of this too. It's not like it's a you're doing it because it's a hobby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's the the fact that I get to get up and train every day, and you know, enjoy, I get to drop my daughter off at school and pick her up from school because, and they're the real benefits that you get. You know, I sitting there and kind of I'm in control of my time to some extent okay game days are different but I can control when I train and and when I do my tactical preparation and that kind of thing so it actually gives me a really good lifestyle and we talk a lot about the importance of of male allies for women in sport have you always had good support from uh, the male decision makers around football through your career yeah I've been really fortunate I think in that I've never had you know, anybody in a position of power to not let me progress through. I think I've had so much support there from the Premier League, the Football Association, even down to my local Birmingham County, who obviously they're really kind of in control of officials at grassroots football, but also the likes of Coventry Referees Association. You know, nobody, when I was even doing my Laws of the Game tests and things when I was learning the laws never at any point did anybody say oh you know we don't want you to be on the course because you're a woman it never I've never had that I've always kind of gone through and always had them them men support me I mean learning the laws of the game like they used to sit next to me if I didn't understand things they'd always be like oh Sean look at it like this so I've always had I would say every step of my career I've had men supporting me in in my pathway down right down to when I had the birth of my daughter and they told me that I wouldn't be able to officiate after that um they, or that I wouldn't be able to run I wouldn't be able to train so I had some some problems with that and um physically not yeah physically um after the birth of my daughter I had some complications so the PGMOL got me a specialist doctor who was involved in you know female sport so that they'd come through the problems that I I was demonstrating so that, that she could get me back on the pitch so I think even through that you know it wasn't you know you kind of think oh, I don't really want to go to them with these women's problems in terms of you know after the birth of a daughter but they were so open I mean Mike Riley in particular was my biggest supporter at that point when you know I'm saying to him I'm going to quit my job to be a football referee at the same point I don't even know if I can get back on a pitch again because the doctors are telling me that I can't run again it's like so conflicting he was like Sean, we will do everything in our power to get you back on the pitch. That's where we want you. And he was such a fantastic supporter. Got me in touch with the the doctor that I seen who, you know, sorted it out straight away and got me back on the pitch. So that is a random example of how supportive that they've been through my career really and every step of the way and even the referees, you know, when I first got onto the Premier League, you know, they kind of I would say they kind of treat me as their little sister, you know, like, yeah, come on then, Sean. Yep. Yeah. 
you know, and not one of them said, oh, we don't want to take a girl on the line to us as referees. You know, they've all been absolutely supportive and they know that I think it's such a tough industry to get through that they know that if you're there, you've got to be good enough. So it's not a case of a tokenism girl kind of thing. You've got to have been able to make them decisions. I mean, imagine if you made mistakes week after week, like then then you'd soon get found out. So, you, you know, you can't be there as a kind of token. And, and that's the only way I'd ever have it. Got to be there because you're good enough. And I think everybody's been so supportive. And do you think all of officiating needs to be more diverse in the future? It's not just gender, but within race as well. Is that something that could improve in the future? Yeah, it's definitely something that the organisations are working on, you know, making sure that we've got not just women it's your black and minority ethnic, uh, that kind of group. Even when you break down the introducing more women, you know, we've got Jojo. I don't know if you've heard about her. She's, you know, a real pioneer for kind of Muslim females coming through. You know, we've got some trans referees. So it's it's about including everybody. Everybody can be a referee, really, can't they? Excellent. No, I love that. That's really good. Very, very positive. Um, I know that you said that you don't really look at social media, but about a month ago, I noticed you were trending on Twitter one evening. And when I looked, I thought, oh, what's it going to be? And um, it was people saying you've been absolutely brilliant that night, which was wonderful to see. So clearly you're excellent at your job and you're well respected in the football world. Do you feel you've got to a point where you've won the public over or does that not really concern you as long as you're doing a fantastic job? Obviously, it's great to have supporters, but again, because of not really being on social media, it, it's um, it's something that you don't really kind of see. So it's it is nice to hear, definitely. But for me, like I, I always kind of pride myself on just getting decisions right. And don't get me wrong, I definitely make mistakes, and I mean and that is part of the job. There's no way I could go through my career and not make mistakes. Um, it it happens. But in terms of like, I'm just one for tr- I'm just a bit of a perfectionist. <laughs> I like trying to think of why I've got things wrong, make it better try and do the best job that I can try and get as many decisions right as I can really that that's just me as a person I think your official your pathway has been very much on the the men's pathway really but you were an official at the FIFA Women's World Cup last summer is it very different um being an official at a women's game and a, a men's game as an official I don't think there's much difference I mean maybe if you'd have asked me 10 years ago I think there was a big depth in standard difference in terms of physicality mainly because I think the skill has been there for a long time in women's football but I think now more and more it's more physical there's more media presence there's more challenge there's more cameras on games Uh, you know I think there's more it's more in the news you know uh, girls want to be professional athletes in football they want to be you know these professional players and I think so now I don't think there's much difference in terms of especially our preparation obviously there's a big difference in the fact that we're not professional referees in the women's divisions um, both nationally and internationally and that I think just comes down to financial implications really there just isn't enough money really to make the referees full-time I think and I hope that is where it goes in the future because I think if we want the best referees you've got to give them the skills and the tools to be able to do that I mean how much time I spend in a week trying to perfect my craft as such you know tactical preparation things like that it's really difficult I look back at the time when I was working as a teacher and trying to get time off for football you know to try and get training in you finishing work at half five six o'clock and then get into the track or a football pitch and it's dark outside and you've got no lights so it's it's trying to get that that we do in, increase professional referees in the women's side of things too. And I'm hoping that's that's the route it's going down. But I think the skill is definitely improving in women's football and the referees have got to go with it. 
That's really interesting, isn't it? I did talk to Casey Stoney in a previous series, but her point was actually you can't have the game becoming more professional and the athletes becoming fitter and faster and stronger. And then you've got people that are trying to do a full-time job, look after the kids and trying to referee in an amateur way at the end of the day. It's just not fair that you need to get that balance. And I think when you look at the distance that referees travel as well, um, you know, I think it, Every game is an away game. I know that sounds silly, but as a player, you know, half, true, the, yeah. half the games that you do are are close to where you live or, you know, you'd mm. expect it to be. And I think for referees, you know, you're never really very close to home. You're always traveling, you know. So I think it's that on top of, you know, that you don't even think about really. I think a lot of people don't even... I've never thought about it. I've never we, thought about it. Yeah. Travel, you know, um, I look at one of our top female referees, Beck, she's from Newcastle. By the time, if she's traveling into London, you know, that's kind of a six hour journey for her, really, at least. Um, and she has, you know, traveling the day before a game, her, her hotels. It ends up being a three day trip, really, for, for one game. So um, when you look at it, things like that, it's, it's that that makes it more difficult as well. But hopefully the growth of the WSL and the championship should open more doors for female officials who can, as you said, they can get on that pathway then to progress. Yeah. And I mean, that's a really positive thing that we've had that this this women's pathway has been created because, you know, I, I'm not going to stand here and say that the only way through is men's football. That's the path that I chose. But it it was a lot more difficult back then to just come through the women's path. Now we have a lot of female referees and male referees, actually, that just want to do the women's pathway. And that's completely yeah. that's completely fine now. And there is that pathway to enable you to go through from grassroots female football all the way to then the Super League and international level. So it's about what pathway you want as well. So a lot of the girls now that we do see just want to referee women's football and that's completely fine. That's really good to hear, isn't it? Your husband's a, a match official as well, yeah. I believe. And so I was thinking, I used to work in sports sponsorship and um, I used to find it really hard to sit at home and watch sport and not be looking at the branding and the shirt advertising, whatever. I couldn't concentrate on the game itself. So are the two of you able to sit at home and just watch sport without watching the match officials and uh, interpreting it? Oh, no, we both watch match officials and we both (laughs) always argue over decisions. So especially because he's more of a referee and I'm more of an assistant. So, you know, I'll watch a game and he'll say, oh, that's a penalty. I was like, yeah, but it's offside first, you know. So, oh, I didn't even think about offside or, you know, things like that. So... We kind of like, and sometimes we're like, well, pause it, go back, you know, and we kind of sit there and have like, <laughs> not an argument, but we definitely disagree over things. And it's get, I mean, we used to referee on the same league at the same time at, at one point. So we were both on the Conference North and South as referees. So when the merit table came out, we were like, who's higher? You know, it was a bit oh. competitive <laughs> in our house at that point, you know, especially when we were coming through the ranks. It was like, who's getting promotion this year? You know, well, neither of us or both of us or, you know, um, so it's always like, competition but I mean it definitely gives us something to talk about that's for sure I don't know what we'd talk about if we didn't have football to talk about (laughs) and what are your personal goals for the future as as an official so do you have you talked about European game in 2019 do you have well clearly when we come back to playing more but do you have more ambitions in terms of your career yeah so there's still lots of things on my kind of sheet that I, I want to do I think I'd love to be official in the women's world cup final but i'm not sure whether that will be achievable realistically in terms of like we it's like i say we work in teams and it's about being you know so lots of things have to happen to kind of allow that yeah. to happen it's not only about performance you know it has to be you know if england team goes through then we get sent home so you know it's things like that you know you, things that are not in your control kind of thing but i you know that's a big dream of mine Men's FA Cup final, I'd love to do that. Men's Champions League game. Um, I, you know, I, there's lots of, I mean, 
I break it down into little games. So it's always like when the fixtures come out on a Monday for the following week's fixtures, it's like you always want your local derby, your, sun, your Super Sunday games, your, you know, your games that kind of got big things on it, your six pointers as we call them. Um, so you always kind of, I have little goals like that that you always want to be involved in them every week. But then you kind of have your bigger goals like your FA Cup final and, and things like that, that you always kind of think, oh, I want to do that and I want to do that. So I've still got, yeah, lots of things that I'd, I'd love to do. You can be the only person in the country not willing England into the final of a World Cup or Euros or something, couldn't they? It's really strange because I went in to talk to the girls before the last World Cup just to kind of get them to have a referee's perspective so that, you know, they kind of, especially with the introduction of VAR into the Women's World Cup. So I went in to talk to them about that and I kind of said to them about the fact that if they go through, I go home. But genuinely in all seriousness, we still want the team to go first and our performance kind of comes second because I also think, and I said this to the girls at that point, that actually what better for women's football in a whole in terms of, you know, the the media, the sponsorship, that everything that comes with it is actually the national team doing well. So if they're performing well, actually refereeing at grassroots gets probably, you know, a little bit of a support in hand. So I think in terms of that, we always want the team to do well. Excellent. And after refereeing, so do you have aspirations for the future? I'd just love to still be involved in football. I think the way that I look at it is promoting refereeing, promoting football. I kind of haven't got, oh, this is what I want to do, apart from the fact that I... I want to influence change in terms of, I've always said, my husband thinks I'm crazy. I was like, you know, if I could be an MP, do you think I could make sure that this happens? So I kind of always thought, you know, is there a pathway in that? I I listen a lot to Sue Campbell and the, the work that she does. And I just think, you know, I'd love to be somebody like that who can influence change and, you know, empower change. So that is something that I would love to go into, really. Fantastic. And and finally, I, I, it must make you very proud that you're encouraging other young women to take up the whistle or flag and you know get involved in the future. But what would you say now to young women who are thinking about becoming an, an official? Give it a go because just so many things you can enjoy. I love the job that I do. I love every game that high. I know it sounds really silly, but you come off a game, even at grassroots football, all it takes is for somebody to say, oh, good job, referee. And you know what? It makes your weekend. And I think, you know, it's that type of thing that I say, you can have that fulfillment from a career in refereeing. It doesn't have to be a career as such that, you know, it's a job. But in terms of, you know, even refereeing your child's football match on a Saturday or Sunday, that if that's all that you want to do, it can still be such an an exciting time, something that gives you such a reward. It is such a rewarding career. It really is. Give it a go. It was wonderful to hear the passion that Sean has for her career. I've no doubt that we'll see her influencing change for women and girls in the future. Thanks to Barclays for their support of this series of The Game Changers. They're making a big difference in helping us share the stories of these incredible women in football. I'd also like to thank Sam Walker, who's our executive producer. And mentioning Sam, she also has her own award-winning podcast, Sam Walker's Desert Diaries. So do take a listen. You won't be disappointed. You can find out more about all 49 of the Game Changers at fearlesswomen.co.uk. You can listen to previous episodes from the website or we're in all the usual podcast places, including Apple, Spotify and Google. Previous trailblazing guests in all areas of sport include the likes of Karen Finley, coach at Harlequins, Joe Bostock, the co-founder of the Women's Sport Trust, and Maggie Murphy, 
General Manager at Lewis FC Women. So please do have a listen. My guest next week is Jane Purden, now CEO at Women in Football. Jane also talks to me about her previous roles at Sunderland, the Premier League and UK Sport. It's a fascinating listen, so please do subscribe now and you won't miss it. Ian Porterfield scored the only goal for Sunderland. (laughs) And when that happened quite late on in the first half, I just felt myself, it was incredible, falling. That's the only way I can describe it, falling into a kind of pit of love for this game. And that was that. I was hooked. The Game Changers. Fearless women in sport. Fearless women in sport.